Thank you, Brother Wilmoth, and praise the Lord, everybody. You may be seated. I'm certainly happy to be here. And as St. Paul said, to speak for myself. For the Lord has been so good to me in so many ways. In fact, I think he's been better to me than anybody else in the world. And I love him so much, and I appreciate for saving me at a, such a young age. It hasn't been a perfect journey because there are times I have stumbled, but the Lord has always been there, and I'm thankful that he can keep you. How many glad the Lord's kept you thus far? And I am confident that he will take us all the way. I'm so thankful to be here with the Bishop Godair and his good wife, and I too join with all the others and praying for your health and strength, praying that God will keep you around many, many more years. We need a man like this. Man. Do you love Brother Sister Godair? That's the way you do it. Nice to be in this meeting. Wow, what a meeting. I, I, I was privileged to come uh, a portion of it last year and made, made it in my mind to come this year, my wife and I, and we are so excited about this meeting. Uh, the tremendous preaching that uh, comes from this pulpit, and I've enjoyed it so very much. Every man has struck a note in my heart and I'm encouraged to move forward in the Lord. I appreciate good preaching, don't you? I was, I was sitting there a little bit ago, and the voices of some, a voice of the past came and spoke to me and uh, put his hand on my shoulders, the late elder Robert C. Cavanis, and he said, with preaching like that, I'd go home. And... Uh, I've had him tell me that before. He'd say, if, he'd say I, I, I wouldn't preach after somebody that preached that good. But uh, what a fabulous, tremendous conference this has been. I am so encouraged in the Lord. How about you? I want to get right into the word of the Lord. I'm reading today from the book of Exodus. And I, you, you may stand if you like. I, I believe, and I will tell you up front, that I certainly believe in the ministry of the saints. I also believe in the five-fold ministry that God has placed in the body. And I am absolutely convinced that there's a ministry for all of us to do. But today I want to try and lay a, a pretty good foundation for what I feel led to talk to you about. And uh, I'm going to speak in the defense of the ministry today. We hear a lot about saints and we preachers pour much of our time into the upbuilding and encouragement of saints. But today my focus is on the preacher. And I hope 
that you'll listen to me because particularly I want to talk to you about the pastor. Everybody say pastor. In the book of Exodus, chapter number 17, and I want to read just a few verses in this 17th chapter and hope you'll connect with me before I'm finished. Exodus 17 and verse number 8, and I want to read through verse number 14. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek and Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven and with this text in mind I want to speak to you on this subject today the man needs help the man needs help you may be seated The man needs help. God has created all men of the same substance and likeness. He has placed into all of us that are here feelings of emotion and sensations. We all like to laugh and we cry when we have to. And we feel the emotions that everybody else feels. We all feel pain, and all of us are subject to moods and temperaments. We were all created by the Lord for a special reason, and we all are created with desires to feel wanted and needed and loved and appreciated. We all are fearfully and wonderfully made by the Lord. Paul stood on Mars Hill and said concerning God that he hath made us of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. Again he wrote to the saints in Rome and said for none of us live to ourselves and none of us die to ourselves. We are all of God's design. God never intended 
for any of us to become an island to ourselves. We all affect one another. I affect you. You affect me. No one of us today are fully self-contained. Each one of us are dependent upon the other. In Christ, we are one body, but we are individuals when it comes to our salvation. Everybody needs somebody sometime. You may feel like you can stand alone, but it's a false feeling. Everybody in this house needs encouragement sometimes. And to whoever may be the least among us, to the greatest, everybody is going to need a connection with somebody in life. I think the most memorable times in all of us that we can remember is when there were times that we needed a helping hand and a friend that we had came and gave us a hand. And that friend is so special to us today because when we needed the strength and the help, we felt the hand of help from a colleague and from an individual that we cared about. In this book of Exodus that I have taken the text from today, we are reading about a man who is well-trained and qualified to take on the task that God has called him to do. A man chosen to lead God's people, to lead them out of an Egyptian bondage land through a wilderness journey on toward a land that God has promised. The man Moses. The events that surrounded his birth and the way in which that he was raised. And he was a man that lived a long life of 120 years. And when he died, as far as I can tell, he's the only man in this Bible that had God as his own undertaker. His eyes were not dim. His body was physically fit. Moses knew God, and God knew Moses. Moses talked with God face to face. One of Moses' outstanding accomplishments was his ability to lead the people of God through the wilderness land. God chose him to lead some three million people on to the promised land. There's no question about it today that it was God and Mo that had his favor upon Moses. And God uses him mightily. The children of Israel see the hand of God upon him. He becomes the answer man that God had supplied for those people. He becomes the tower of strength to God's people. The people see the mighty acts that God works through him. He becomes a powerful figure in the eyes of men. He is a leader of God's people and even God makes him to be respected by the entire nation. In fact, Moses said of him, uh, Pharaoh said of him, that, uh, and God said, I have, made, uh, Moses, uh, uh, I have made Pharaoh to look at you as a God. He became a tower of strength 
And the children of Israel see this mighty hand upon this great man. They see that this man is an extraordinary man. The children of Israel become aware that this man, Moses' position with God is, diff is on a different terms than they are. He is on a special level. On one occasion, the people had a need, and they knew the connection that Moses had. And they went to Moses and said, Moses, we want you to intervene for us and see what God will say. And God talked to Moses, and Moses talked to the people. They knew that he stood in a special place, amen, having the favor of God in his support. A man who always protected himself before the people to be in, projected himself to be in complete control of every situation that he was presented. From all the things that the children of Israel saw, they had, that had been done by the hand of Moses, he seemingly seemed to have everything in his favor. Everything that he did, he appears to those who come to know him as to be some sort of superhuman being, a man that was looked at nearly like a superman, a man who could accomplish and get extraordinary things done through God that under normal circumstances could not be accomplished. Moses doesn't see himself like this. In fact, he himself feels inadequate for the task that he's called upon by God to perform. He feels inferior in so many ways. He doesn't feel the same about himself as others feel about him. He's not as sure of himself as they are. He's not as confident. He's not as uh, sold on himself as everyone else is and God is. He doesn't feel qualified or equipped for the position that God has placed him in. And God has to reassure him, I am with you, Moses. I'm on your side. You're a mine. And if the people ask you how you come, you tell them that I sent you. And yet we find this man in all of his abilities, he still doesn't feel that he has the uh, the, the right ingredients to lead the people of God. And he himself will, everything and everybody, that he can complete the assignment that God is giving. Yet Moses is still unsure of himself and his abilities. And God continues to reinforce him. Amen. And continues to re, uh, lift him up and assure him that he is with him. In Exodus chapter number 3, in verse number 19, God speaks to Moses and says in verse 19, I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, not by a mighty hand. But I will stretch out mine hand and smite the, smite the Egyptians with all my wonders. And I will do in their midst, amen, things that they've never seen and things that they would never imagine. And I will give to this people favor in the sight of of the Egyptians. On down in chapter 4, Moses answers and says, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken to my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not 
appeared unto you. Amen. He's feeling his own inadequacies and his own incompetence. And the Lord says to him, what is in thine hands? And he says, a rod. And we find down in verse number 20, and it says, and Moses took the rod of God in his hands. It was, in, it was by that, that rod in the hand of Moses that the people begin to see the mighty acts and the exploits and the miracles and the astonishing wonders that God would work through this man, Moses, his servants. We find in chapter 7 of the book of Exodus that the Lord speaks to Moses and tells Moses to take his rod and to stretch it out and stretch it out over the waters. And the waters, as you know, became corrupted and the waters came blood and the rivers and the streams and all the pools and the ponds, they turned to blood. Amen. The fish died and the rivers stank. It was by God, it was by Moses and his rod that these acts were performed. In chapter 8, it moves on and Moses is again given instruction from God to take the rod and stretch it over the same waters as before and the plagues of the frogs came. And there were frogs everywhere, frogs in all of the land except in Goshen where the people of God were encamped. And as we move on and we see uh, that these things were done, they were all done by God himself through Moses and his rod. Amen. The same thing goes on. And as we look in chapter 8, we find that God gives instructions for Moses to stretch his rod again. And the people are plagued with lice. There are lice everywhere in the in, in the Egyptian camp. In chapter 9, in verse number 22, we find that God talks to Moses to do it again, to stretch out his, his rod and toward the heaven. And we find that there became thunder and hail and rain upon the land, and fire danced upon the ground. Amen. Everywhere that the children of Israel abode, there was no damage. There was no destruction because God had his hands upon these people. Amen. So much hail that, and it was so grievous that it broke every tree in the field. And the fire burned up the herbs in the fields. Amen. Hail beating upon the Egyptians and their beast. And it was just from God, Moses, and his rod. In chapter, as we move on into chapter number 10 and verse number 21, Moses is told to stretch forth his hand toward heaven again. And darkness covered the entire world. Amen. Except into the homes of the Israelites. They still had a light. Amen. Aren't you glad God keeps his hand on his people? But the people are watching this. They're watching the hand of God upon this man who has been called of God. And for three long days, they lived in darkness. And men began to uh, dare not to move because of the darkness that was in the land. Only the children of Israel had light in their dwelling. And it all came about because of God, Moses, and his rod.
all of these acts that God's allowed Moses to perform, it's registering on the minds of the people that he is, that he is leading out of Egypt land. All of them are seeing the great exploits that God is working through this man, Moses. And after Moses led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, and they come to a Red Sea with Pharaoh's army behind them, not knowing how it was going to turn out. But God again, through Moses and his rod, God has him to stretch his rod out, and the sea dries up. And the children of Israel walk across on dry, dry ground. And again, God speaks to Moses after all the children are crossed and the Egyptians are following close behind. And as they get in the middle of the sea, God tells Moses again to stretch out his rod. And he stretches out his rod. And when he does, you know the story how that the, 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 the wall of the, that God had prepared for the Israelites, it came down on the wall of water. And all of them were drowned in the sea. And the children of Israel had crossed over on dry ground. All of this is being done through God by Moses and his rod. And after all of this has taken place, amen, we find out down as we look and walk through the scriptures and as I walk through them for you today, that God saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the sea. And Israel saw the, that great work that the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord. And they believed the Lord and his servant Moses. I'm telling you that God intended for them to fall in love with the man of God. Just like they fell in love with him. Amen. And these people, my friend, the people of Israel, Moses had become some sort of superhuman being. One single man with a rod. The incredible, amen, invincible leader that he seemed to be. The unconquerable man. Their champion. And may I say their Goliath. Moses and his rod. The people witnessed firsthand the great works that God has, had wrought by the hand of Moses and his rod. They believed and feared both God and Moses because they knew that the servant Moses had the hand of God upon his life. Moses, this man of iron, unbent, this man of courage and seemingly fearless leader. In chapter 17, we find the children of Israel are thirsty and they have no water to drink. And again, the Lord instructs Moses to take his rod. And the Bible said that Moses in the sight, in the sight of Israel, the elders of Israel, he took the rod and smote the rock and out came water. Water enough to feed three, to, for 3,000 people, 3 million people. To drink and their cattle. It was through God, Moses, and his rod. But now we come down to the place where I took my text from and my subject from. 
And the scene seems to change. The same man, Moses, who's with God's help, who the people saw the mighty acts of the past. They saw all that God had done. They saw him raise his hand with the rod. And through God, miraculous things took place. Things that normal people could never expect to see. They saw through the hand of Moses by God. One lone man with a rod in his hand causing these miraculous events to occur through God. And now in the text I read this super bionic man, this seemingly unstoppable man is facing Amalek, an enemy to fight, a descendant of Esau. Moses goes up against him with his rod in his hand as he had always done before. It's the same God. It's the same rod. It's the same individual that they had seen before. But this time things are different. This time things are not like they were before. But it's different this time. He's never faced this before. And while the battle rages, the Bible tells us in our text that his hands became heavy. And while his hands were up, with the rod in his hands, Israel prevails in the fight. But while his hands are down, the enemy prevails. And the story tells us that Aaron and Hur came up to the mountain with him and stood by him, one on one side and one on the other. And they took a stone and set him upon it. Amen. Aaron gets on one side and while Hur on the other, they hold up. Moses' hands until the battle is won. There was nothing wrong with the rods. And there was certainly nothing wrong with God. It was the man that needed the help. It was nothing wrong with the, with the, with the power of, the, of God Almighty. Because we know that God can do anything. There is no failure in God whatsoever. There is no problem, my friend, and the likeness that I want to associate with today. There is never a problem with the Holy Ghost that works inside of a man. There is never a problem with the, with, with, with the calling of God that's upon that man. But it's the man, the flesh, that needed the help. It was the humanness. It was the human vessel that God had chosen that needed help, not the gift that the man possessed. Moses was not shirking from his responsibilities. He had committed no sin. He was not weak in faith. No, he was not, he was not having just a bad day, but it was just something about his humanness that could not hold up to the test. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. Amen. And there are times when the man of God needs the help and the support of the trusted saints of God. There are times when God provides opportunity for every child of God to come and support and hold up the hands of the man that God has anointed and blessed that has become our leader. The ministry has many responsibilities to saints. Amen to, to the saints. But let us never forget as saints 
that the saints have an obligation to their pastor. Encouragement, my friend, and support is not a one-way street. It is not something that God designed that when you come in here that you always come in to be encouraged by the pastor and his wife. But there are times when God wants you to come and to lift up and encourage the man of God and his wife. The pastor, your preacher, is faced with every type of circumstance imaginable. You cannot imagine the things and the spirits that the pastor has to deal with on a continual basis. The pastor appears to always be in a positive mood. He always appears to look good and he's dressed well. His posture seems to always be right. Amen. He hears the bad news more than he does the good news. And sometimes, and generally speaking, as a pastor of, of a few years myself, we generally get to hear the bad news just before we get up to deliver the good news. Amen. That's just the way some folks react. They always want to feed you a, a big line about something just before you get up and try to help them and instruct them. But I'm telling you, my friend, God has called you to give support to the man of God no matter what the condition is in life. There are times when the man of God steps in the pulpit. He does not want to be particularly, feel like preaching that night. But there's something about him. He knows he has a responsibility to feed the flock that God has put him over. Preachers have feelings too. Preachers are human beings too. Saints see all the many exploits that their pastor does. He lays hands on our sick and they recover. He comes to the hospital bed where we're at and God automatically sends a mighty touch to us. Amen. He's there when we need to get married. He's there when our babies are born. He's there when it comes time to exit this world. Thank God for the man of God and his responsibilities. But my friend, I come to tell you, you got a responsibility to the man of God because the man himself needs the help. We have confidence in the man of God. I had a, a man and woman who attended my church for a while. And uh, I, one of those kinds of people that you always had to encourage. And they uh, finally decided to move away uh, and go to another church. And uh, I was traveling somewhere and my phone rang. And I answered it. I knew who it was. And when I did, she was in a panic mode the lady was and she's i believe they're sincere and good people but when you when you have a pastor over you he's going to tell you some things sometimes that's going to rub you the wrong way and they just didn't want to line up all the way and so they wanted to go somewhere where they could do what they wanted to do as you know what i'm talking about and so i i i said uh hello and and she said brother strevel we need we need prayer right now she said our uh, our, our son, our grandson, uh, is being taken to the hospital in an emergency situation. 
In fact, they have told us that he is not going to live. That uh, I don't remember exactly what it was, but she said, would you please pray? She said, you're the only man we know that's in a connection with God. I wanted to say, well, what about your new preacher? Where's his connection at? Amen. That's why you need to stay under a good man of God because there's going to be a time you're going to need that man of God. Amen. And, and, and being the nice guy I was, I said, I said, all right, I, I, I'll pray for him. And before I could think, I said, he's going to be all right. You know, sometimes preachers say things and, and think later, and God backs them up. And I said, oh, my Jesus, uh, what have I got myself into? Uh, he, giving me this report, he's not going to make it. And so I started praying and asking God to bring deliverance as uh, any good pastor would do. And no more than I got my prayer out, uh, just a little bit later, she called me back and she said, Oh, have I got good news. She said, by the time we got to the hospital, she said, my son was uh, carrying my grandson out of the hospital. And they said it was a drastic turn because they didn't know what had happened. But somehow he just overcome in a moment's time. I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be a time when you're going to need the man of God on your side. Thank God for a pastor who is in touch with God when you need a touch. Now I know they don't always turn out like that, but I'll tell you what, our percentages are better than their percentages. God comes and intervenes and talks to us and helps us and blesses the man of God like he'd never bless you. God designed a preacher over saints. You better keep a pastor on your side. You don't know when you're going to need his prayers. Your pastor is the best friend you've got. But you need to remember he is also a human being. Some of you need to quit being like a sponge. And every time you come to church, always think you're coming in here to get encouraged. And you should come expecting encouragement. But remember, God called you as well to be an encourager. And God wants you to encourage the ministry of your church. He wants you to lift up the hands that he has anointed and that he has blessed. Don't take the rod into your own hands. You can't preach for him, but you can preach with him by holding up the hands of the man of God, by giving strength and by giving your support to the man of God. Learn to say a kind word to the man of God. I remember when my mother passed a few years ago. Uh, of course, she didn't have much possessions in life, but I remember as a boy, I remember there was a picture that hung on the wall and it stayed there all the years of my youth, as far as I remember. I don't even remember it being taken down. And so when she passed, my sister, one of my sisters, was going through some stuff and I told her, I said, the only thing I want out of 
what little possession she has is I want that picture. And they searched the house. They went in the attic. They searched all the little hidden nooks and crannies to try to find it. They couldn't find the picture. But I remember it vividly in my mind. When you stepped out of the room into the main hall is where it hung. And on that picture, it was a gold frame picture and a silver background. And inside that, inside that picture, there was, a, there was a painting of some pictures. And in those pictures were golden apples. And at the bottom of that picture, amen, it said the value of speaking the right words. Proverbs 25 and 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of sil silver. I cannot tell you the numerous times that I went to my pulpit and I felt the flesh of, of myself. I did not feel strong enough to preach. I didn't even want to preach. I didn't want to stand behind the sacred desk. I had committed no sin. I was in touch with God. I just didn't feel like preaching for the night. But it was my responsibility. I was to stand behind the sacred desk. I was charged to encourage the people of God. And thank God for the good saints of God. That an amen from over here. And a hallelujah from back there. And somebody, somebody giving me support. That brought me out of it. That took my flesh. And let the Holy Ghost come all over me again. I'm telling you. It's the man that needs the help. It's not God. It's not the Holy Ghost. It's not the calling that he has. It's the man. That needs the help. I had one such moment like that the other day. In fact, the older I get, the more frequent they're coming. And while I was attempting to teach and trying to do something, I heard a yell in the back and said, come on, elder, preach it. And that just kind of jarred me a little bit. And all of a sudden, I got excited, and I started walking around the church and preaching. And a man came up and just looked at me and took his hanky out and started polishing my shoes. Brother, I stood there and let him polish them for a while. You need to let your preacher know whose side you're on. Because it's sometimes the man that needs the assurance. You need to let that man of God know how much you love him by the way he preaches. God doesn't need the help. He has all power. Holy Ghost doesn't need the help at all. The rod or the calling doesn't need the help. Because that never changes with God. But what needs the help is the man. The earthliness of that man needs the help. The flesh needs help. You know what's really sad? Is when you go in a church service and nobody wants to seem to help you at times. It's like some of you. During this whole meeting, some of you haven't hardly moved at all. You need to learn to get involved in church. I, 
Everybody can't sit on the front row, but everybody can have a front row amen. You can support the man of God no matter where you're at in the congregation. And believe me, the preacher knows who's behind him and who's not behind him. I have a lady in my church that came to me and apologized. She said, Pastor, I'm so sorry. I said, what? Sorry about what? What have you done? She said, every time you preach, she said, somewhere in that message, God finds me. And I just start weeping. I said, Sister, please don't stop weeping. There are times that's all I draw from. When I hear, when I look back and see the tears flowing down your face. It's an amen here and it's a preaching elder here. And it's, you're the best preacher I've ever heard. Shame on you if you can walk out of church every night and never compliment the man of God. Your preacher needs to hear it from you. I said the man of God needs to hear it from you. He needs to hear you open your mouth and say, you know what, you're number one with me. You need to stand in line if, he, if that's what... You need to just let him know. Write him a note. Send him a card. Tell his pastor how much you love her. Because everybody needs encouragement. It's the people that show no expression. That make the job of the pastor more difficult. I was, as all preachers, struggling through an issue with the family in our church. And I didn't know what the outcome would be. But when service was over, the, 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 the dad of the house came and said, he said, hold on just a minute. I want mom to get up here too. And they both came and said, we just won't tell you. You preach to our kids. Amen. We want our children saved. And if it gets tight and rough and you have a hard time, you can count on us. You can count on us to go through all of this. I'm telling you, we need to learn to give encouragement to our pastor. Some years ago in my own home church, and I make just reference to it, what a wonderful place I was born and raised in. I, I have a, a testimony a lot of people don't have. I've only known one pastor in my life, and I'm thankful for that. And I remember we had a little problem in the church, as all churches have. And I shall never forget it. I didn't know anything happened. happened after a Sunday morning, a blow-up of some sort. And that night, as I made my way to church, I was generally early. The pastor, his uh, way of doing things at the time is he'd come to church earlier than us all, and then he would go home and get dressed and come back. That was just his manner. And that night when I drove in, there wasn't another car in the parking lot. When I drove in, the pastor was standing outside. And I thought, this is very unusual. I'd never seen him on the outside of the church. And so I drove up and spoke to him. He said, have you heard about what happened this morning? And I said, no. I, I, don't, I didn't hear anything that happened. And he said, well, we had a little blow-up this morning, and some folks left. And I just uh, wanted to tell you about it. I said, so what? 
What makes the difference? If they choose to go somewhere else, he said, well, let me tell you about it. I said, I don't, you don't have to tell me about it. I am with the man of God. There are moments when your pastor is at a low state. There are moments when he will question whether or not you have, he has your support. And what you need to do is reassure him that you are on his side. That you're standing by him because it's the man. It's the man that needs the help. Everybody say amen. amen. I thank God for the people in our church. You're always so supportive. Every pastor is very grateful for every amen, for all the encouragements that are sent his way. It'll do you good to encourage a pastor and his wife. Say amen. Give them a smile. Maybe you can't shake their hand. Maybe everybody can't, as large a church as this is. But you can show your interest in a way to let them know that you connect with them. Complimenting is not a fatal disease. Learn to say thank you. It doesn't even hurt to say thank you to a good waitress. You surely ought to say thank you for a good message. picked up a little story years ago and about a cab driver in New York City. New York City population and so forth is approximately 20, 20 million people. Lots of people. If you've ever been to New York City and you never, you've never been there, you need to get somebody to guide you around. It's quite a city. And a cab driver picked up a gentleman from a busy part of town and took him to Grand Central Station and let the man out. The man paid him his fare. And while the cab driver was driving away looking for other, uh, other patriots and trying to find someone to get in the cab, he noticed the window between the seats was open. And so he reached back to pull it shut. And when he looked back, he glanced and saw that uh, the man had left his billfold laying on the seat. And he saw how wide and thick that it was. And so to try to find some idea in it, he, he opened it up and he thought, no, the first I need to do, I need to get this back to the man that left it if I possibly can. He turned the vehicle around and drove all the way back, had to go several blocks through several traffic lights. He didn't think he'd ever see the man again. And so he started looking a little bit more and, and noticing that there were hundreds and hundreds of dollar bills inside this billfold. He knew how desperately the man would be when he found it out. He knew how he felt. And so he made it to Grand Central Station. And if you've ever been to Grand Central Station, it's not a place where there's two or three people running around. It is the Grand Central Station. And when he got inside, he parked his vehicle in a, in, a, in, a, in a cab parking place and ran inside and had the billfold in his hand and looked all over the place. He couldn't seem to find him. 
And finally, after searching and going every possible way he could go, he saw the man way on the other side. And so he took and ran over there shouting, Sir, sir, no, of course to no avail, and finally made his way up to the man. And the man was startled and looked at him and, and said, Oh, he didn't, even hardly, he didn't even recognize him. He said, Listen, you left this in my cab. And the man took it and thumbed through it to see if there was anything missing. And when he found out there was nothing missing, he shoved it in his pocket and walked away. When the cab driver got back to the, to the station where all the other cab drivers were waiting, they, he told his story of the lost time and, and so forth, that he lost some business because he had to take this billfold back. And they were all chat talking about it and telling how terrible it was that the man couldn't reach in and at least give him a little money for his time. He said, it was not the money that bothered me. It was not the fact that he had lots of money that he could have given me. What bothered me more than anything else is he didn't say thank you. I'm going to tell you what, if we're not careful, we're going to be short on our thank yous. We're going to be short on our response to the Word of God. Now you may come here and eat a nice good meal, and I believe you do by the way this church responds, but I'm telling you, you need to learn how to give your preacher a compliment and let him know that you're in his corner and you support him. Learn to say thanks. Spiritual leaders are human beings too. Quit worrying if his head's going to get swollen up. Listen to me. If we intend to be victorious, our leader has to have his hands up. If we intend... To win over the Amaleks that are in our day, the descendants of Esau, we better learn to lift up the hands. Let me bring it down to a family level. Don't just count on the rest of the church doing your work for you. You need to make sure you intercept, that you get involved. The reason it's so important to hold up the hands of the man of God is because when your leader's hands are down, Amalek prevails. But when his hands are up, we are all gaining ground. Preachers, my friend, face the Amaleks of our day. They stand on the hill and watch and see what they're doing. Let me just add one more point to this message and I'll be finished. There was never, there's never been a man so great that has walked this earth as Jesus himself. Jesus, my friend, was God Almighty robed in flesh. Nobody knows that like you and I. Never a man spake like him. Never a man could do the things that he did. 
He alone treadeth the waves. He turned water into wine. He healed sick folks and he raised the dead. He fed 5,000 and other thousands of people by multiplying food within his hands. But Jesus was God-man. And when he went to Gethsemane for you and I, the man part of Jesus faced something in that garden that he had never faced before. Things were always seemed to be easy for him to this moment. And when he looked into that cup, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thy will be done. It wasn't God speaking. For God can do anything. It was the man, Christ Jesus. It was the man, Christ Jesus, that needed the help to drink of that bitter cup. And if he had not taken of that cup, you and I would not have the victories over Satan, our enemy, and even the world that we enjoy today. If we intend to be victorious, We must hold up the hands that's holding up the rod. And the only one in your church that has the rod in their hand is your pastor. You might shake everybody else's hand and encourage everybody else. But if you don't encourage him, your battle will be in defeat. For when the pastor's hands are up, you and yours will prevail. But when his hands are down, your enemy will prevail. You have a responsibility, my brothers and sisters, preachers alike. You preachers that don't know how to give another preacher a compliment, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You're not a God-called man because preachers support preachers. And you're not a true saint of God if you don't know how to connect with the pulpit and tell the man of God, I need you. I am supportive of you. Whatever you preach, whatever you tell us, we're going in that direction. God bless you. It's the man that needs the help. Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands unto the Lord right now, can we? Oh, we've heard from God today. Uh, thank God for our pastors, our ministers. Hallelujah. The can burn. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, God. As Brother Spell sings, I tell you what I'd like to do right now with all of our ministers. With all of our preachers, would you come down to the front? Hallelujah. Would you do that right now? All of our preachers, would you come? Hallelujah. Oh, we're under a heavy storm. We're under attack. In this day and hour. Hallelujah. Oh, for the Lord. 